This episode of The Sleeper and the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 18, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New for this year, 2017 opening day rosters, historic Negro League integration, run the ultimate what-if scenarios, tournaments, fall leagues, a redesigned injury system, an improved 3D game, real-time presentation, and game highlights, improved player morale, and team chemistry, and so much more. Out of the Park Baseball 18 has the full sleeper in the bust stamp of approval. We all play it and have for years. Even better, if you buy now through the Sleeper in the Bust podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, and just enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout to not only get a discount, but also help support the Sleeper in the Bust, indie sports video game development, and all the people who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 18. Once again, just go to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout for a special discount and to support our show. Guys, I, I'm obsessed with this game. It is so much fun. Um, I played a lot of OOTP17. You guys have heard me talk about my Twitch streams, twitch.tv slash pspore24. I was streaming my 17 franchise over there. I, I, I did a fantasy draft in 1995. I was able to get Ken Griffey Jr., and Pedro Martinez. I don't know what the computer was thinking there, uh, letting letting both of those guys get there. I took Pedro with my first pick, and then and then got Ken Griffey Jr. I haven't started my new eighteen one for um, for streams yet, but I'm going to. And I'm actually just gonna gonna start over. I, I I won the World Series that first year with the with the seventeen team, but I'm gonna start a new one. We'll do the draft at some point soon, so stay tuned for that. But out of the park is is just so much fun. You've heard me talk about. Uh, other baseball video games I like, they're, they're two different experiences. This is the sim, in-depth, management sort of deal, and then the other game is, is playing. So um, I absolutely love this game. One last time, ootpdevelopments.com. Sleeper18 is, is your discount code. Uh, that lets them know that we, that we sent you there, and they give you a little bit of uh, a little bit off the top as well. If you do play the game, let me know. Let me know what you're doing with it. Let me know what, uh, what team you're going with, whether you're starting historically or going from now. Uh, if you do the fantasy draft, hit me up on Twitter, at Spora. I love kind of seeing how people go because it, it doesn't just play out 100% to, to history. Things can change and you can have guys you know you can have a failed prospect that actually pans out for you so i I love seeing that stuff definitely hit me up there um and 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 thanks for supporting the show by by going to ootpdevelopments.com Hello and welcome to episode 463 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, May 31st. I'm your host, Paul Spore, flying solo back after a while off. We took the weekend off, Jason and I did. Uh, scheduling was a, a, a little bit problematic. I said, you know what, with the weekend, let's just take it off. I'll write up a little post on, on who guys uh, should pick up as far as, as far as pitchers go. I really focused on the pitchers. Obviously, hitters matter too. You know, uh, hit, hitter lives matter. But week to week... I think pitchers are more important on the waiver wire. So that's why I only wrote up pitchers um, instead of both 
Uh, and speaking of pitchers, this is going to be a pitcher-focused episode. And I forgot to open my drink before we started, so you guys are going to hear me crack it open. Obviously drinking beer. I'm just kidding. Anyone that knows me knows exactly what I'm drinking, and it's a sugar-free Red Bull. I know. I shouldn't. I don't need your lecture. I understand. But you know what? It's tasty. Here we go. Okay. Anyway, we are talking pitching today. And the route I'm taking is I'm looking at uh, a bunch of the ERA leaders that are that are surprising and, and kind of giving you my assessment on, on them for the next four months, right? We're hitting about the two-month mark here. You know, they didn't start. I don't think opening day was April 1st, was it? It was like April 3rd. That was pretty, pretty close this year. Uh, April 2nd was that Sunday when they had the three games, and then April 3rd would have been official opening day. So we're really coming up on two months. And so, you know, we're a third of the way through. And a lot of things are going to change. That's that's the craziest part is I'm not even sure, you know, if we can fully grasp just how much is going to change. Like, it's just going to be so much that changes from here until the end of the season. And one of the things with the buy low hitters, I'm seeing if I can pull this up, that I forgot to include was a bunch of guys who completely changed their season after kind of struggling pretty much throughout all of May. So I'm actually going to share that real quick. It's hitters, and and I apologize to like kind of go back to that before getting going forward onto the pitcher thing, but it, it, it kind of plays into it just to give you an idea of, of how much things can change. So here are seven hitters who through and it was through May 22nd is what I was doing it because that's when I did the research for that uh, buy low hitter piece or hitter podcast. Uh, we, had, we had Justin Upton last year with a 589 OPS and just two homers through May 22nd, and he had an 851 OPS and 29 homers the rest of the way. Just looking at OPS and homers, by the way. Brian Dozier, one of the biggest standouts last year, was a was an absolute dud through two months. 602 OPS, four homers, 199 average too, by the way. Probably getting cut in some spots. Went on to have a 978 OPS and 38 homers the rest of the way. That wasn't his bottom line. That was the rest of the way. Kendris Morales, 570 OPS, 5 yaks, 191 average for him, including some batting averages for a couple of these guys because they were just so shockingly low. Had an 884 OPS and 25 homers the rest of the way. Matt Kemp, 677. He did have 10 homers, so I doubt he was being cut, you know, um, as rampantly as maybe some of these other guys in the shower leagues. Cause you're like, Oh, I got 10 homers. Like there's at least a little sign of life. 851 and 25 homers the rest of the way, of course, energized when he goes to Atlanta and has been great with them since, you know, continuing it this year, Justin Turner, 675 OPS, three homers. I, for one was like, Oh man, that microfracture surgery might've gotten him. You know, this sucks. What's going on with uh, Justin Turner, 886 and 24 homers the rest of the way. Joey Votto, you know, we know that he's had these two amazing second halves the last couple of years. He had a 697 OPS and six homers through through May 22nd, uh, 1087 and 23 the rest of the way. And Jose Abreu, 714 OPS, six homers. Again, hardly somebody that you're like, oh, this is the biggest disaster ever. I have to cut him, but but certainly not great. Uh, 860 OPS and 19 homers the rest of the way. So again, I bring them up. Just to kind of highlight that they were supposed to be included in the in the by low hitter piece, and I forgot, 
and I was like, you know what? Am I going to just, am I going to put an addendum on here? Like, what am I going to do? Um, I was going to just do like an addendum pod of 10 minutes talking about it. Instead, I figured, you know what? Next solo episode, I'll bring it up. It won't necessarily fit to the theme that I'm going for, which it happens to not uh, with what I'm doing this week. But I thought it was an okay little diversion. By the way, update on some of those guys that we're looking at on the buy low. Some of them are already kind of coming along. You know, we're not going to judge it for a while, but you know, Devin Travis, Alex Bregman, Kyle Seeger, Andrew McCutcheon, they're starting to get their stuff going. I will say though, it's been kind of split because uh, Michael Franco, Kyle Schwarber, Ruth Neto, Dorn, and Carlos Gonzalez have been p- perhaps worse. <laughs> They've been worse than they were. So uh, we're kind of half and half on them so far, but we'll check in on them, you know, around the all-star break when we've actually got some time under our belts to kind of see where they're going. But again, today, Looking at the ERA leaders, a handful of guys from both leagues. This is not just, you know, uh, top to bottom the leaders. This is looking at maybe the top. I think nobody's lower than than 35 among the leaders, but it, it, it's close. I'm just looking at the guys who are, you know, kind of surprising. And again, giving you an assessment on what I think they can do the rest of the way. I think the one guy, there's one guy on here that has over a three- uh, 50, let's see. Yeah, one guy that's over 343, but he's tied in with a couple teammates because I'm going to kind of look at, at at a team group as a whole, and I bet you can guess what team that is, but we're not getting to them for a while. So let's just start at the top with Alex Wood, who, who recently hit the disabled list, which of course is a bummer. SC joint inflammation. When your sports center joint gets inflamed, that's tough. You know, like what are you going to do? Uh, you're going to have to watch uh, Fox Fox Sports 1 or whatever, whatever their sports center is. Like, what do you do when, you're, when your SC joint is inflamed? That's a stupid, stupid joke. But I don't know what the hell an SC joint is. I've literally never heard of it. I've been following sports my entire life. I know about a lot of different body parts and things that can get hurt because of sports injuries, and I've never heard of that. I don't know if this is one of their hey, we'll give you a little time off to kind of protect your innings and, you know, manipulate the DL a little bit because we have, you know, seven, eight starters that we could use. Or if he's like legitimately hurt and it's something that could be long-term. I I really don't know right now, Alex Wood. So we're kind of just waiting to see what happens. Let's assume that it's not a a long-term situation. In fact, the latest news, pardon me, I didn't see, I hadn't seen this when I first was putting this together. Only expected to miss one start. Which again kind of lends credence to the <laughs> they're just kind of goofing with it um, to just you know protect the ins workloads for some of these guys and also work in some of their other guys who need to get innings. But okay, so we'll assume that, and then we can assess Alex Wood with just a little bit of time off. Alex Wood has been one of the very best pitchers in baseball this year. There's no doubt about it. In fact, I think that uh, that he has. The oh, let's see, Hang on. I think that he has the best ERA among anybody with at least 40 innings among starters. He's got 48 innings. Let's see if that's true. I'll go, I'll go 40 on the qualification and then I'll sort. Alex Wood for the Dodgers has just been incredible. He's a guy I've never really been a huge fan of because of his mechanics made him inconsistent. Doug Thorburn, um, of, of baseball prospectus, Rotowire calls him the, um, Tasmanian devil 
because of his crazy mechanics. He looked a lot like Ubaldo Jimenez from the from the left side with uh, with some of the mechanical things that he had. He's really tightened up his mechanics this year, according to Doug. I asked him about uh, Wood and wait, did I ask him or did he talk about it on his podcast? I can't remember. Let's pretend I asked him. Let's pretend I do research. And I said, Hey, Doug, what are you seeing out of Alex Wood? And he said, Oh, Paul, I'm glad you asked. Here's a million things. No, uh, but I, I believe that he said. Um, that he's tightened up the mechanics, a lot more repeatable. He's added velocity. We're up uh, from 90.6 last year for Alex Wood to 92.8 this year. Strikeout rate's up. Walk rate has always been solid, and he continues to maintain uh, an above-average walk rate and a 12.1 swinging strike rate. 12% swinging strike rate is fantastic for a starter. Like That's pretty good for a reliever. Now, some relievers have just these obscene numbers, but if you get 12%, Reliever or starter, that's pretty good. So to be doing it as a starter is huge. And then, of course, everything's kind of working in his favor, too. It's one thing for the skills to step forward, but then everything else kind of working around Alex Wood. 189 batting average. 281 batting average on balls in play, though, is not so obscene that you're like, oh, that has to go up. Now, he has a 309 career. Uh, 281 would be his career best. 80% left on base rate actually wouldn't be his career best. He put up an 80% left base rate for 171 and two-thirds innings back in 2014 uh, for Alex Wood. Another major change, and this is a skill change, 69% ground ball rate. Now, that is as nice as nice gets. That's when you start to get into that threshold where you're controlling it, where you're going to start influencing your BABIP, where you're... Uh, as the pitcher, you're really influencing things. We've seen it with Dallas Keuchel uh, over these past few years. And then, of course, this year again, where when you hit a certain threshold, I think it's around 62 63% with your ground ball rate. You are now starting to have a positive impact on your Babbitt. Ground balls are not automatically good for Babbitt, of course, because ground balls tend to go for hits more often. And so you need to rely on your defense. But when you're getting at that clip, 69%, uh, you are now, you know, again, having some, some control over, you know, contact management is what we've taken to calling it. And I like that. His hard contact rates down to a career best 20%, 10 percentage points better than last year. He was at 30% last year. He's at 28% for his career and 63% medium contact. So medium contact, I think gets a little bit overlooked. We, we focus on hard and say, oh, he's letting up too much uh, hard contact or soft. Oh my God, he's allowing, he's inducing so much weak contact. He's a beast. Medium contact is not bad, especially on the ground. That could be a lot of uh, playable ground balls. Now you start to border a little bit. And if it's, if, if the does turn into hard ground balls. Those are the ones that are going to get through the infield. I understand that. So maybe we expect the batting average uh, to go up a little bit from 189, you know, something into the low 200s or whatever. But I love a lot of what Alex Wood is doing. And if this injury is is just a short-term sort of thing, that's only going to cost him one start and not really impact him. Beyond that, I I, I believe a, a lot in what Alex Wood is doing. I mean, you look at everything added up, yeah, he has a 169 ERA, 187 FIP. Whether you're a FIP person or not, uh, or look, maybe you're, you know, and you want those home runs neutralized, so you're an ex-FIP person, and he's got a 235. Sierra, skills interactive ERA, 253. All of it's adding up to say that he's been great. He's been great. 
uh, Alex Wood has absolutely been great, and there's a a lot of skills change and improvement behind it that really has me interested in what Alex Wood is doing. The sinker's working at 92, 93 regularly. Uh, he's getting more chases on all of his pitches. The curveball uh, looks tighter, and and he's in more command of it, in my opinion. And changeups become a real weapon for him. And again, that's it's a harder changeup, but it, it's diving out his uh, 35% O swing rate, which is out of the zone, which are you know chases um, that that get swung at out of the zone. 35% career high easily a career high career 29 percent. so again alex wood it all adds up i i'm buying it you know when you say buying it doesn't mean i think he keeps a 169 era the rest of the year but i think with with these skills even backing them off a little bit and saying okay there's gonna be a little bit you know some trickles of 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 regression he looks like a 275 era guy you know, I, I I can put, I can feel comfortable putting that projection on him, which seems crazy. I wasn't even considering Alex Wood coming into this year. I think he was going to be their swing man, you know, emergency starter type. This is why pitching is so fascinating. This is why I love pitching because they're always changing so much. Now, of course, they can change on the negative side, but changes can happen. And he is only 26. He's been around for a while, Alex Wood has, but he's only 26 years old. This is still a growth stage. So I'm really buying in. I would be interested in buying him. You know, if someone's trying to sell high and, you know, the price isn't too exorbitant, which I don't know. Everyone has to judge that for themselves, right? I, I understand that. Probably not given my first, second round pick, but I'm giving an impact back. You know, or I'm giving two really solid bats if somebody's really going for more of the quantity over quality. But I'm giving some high end stuff here for Alex Wood. I'm in. Uh, next up, Irvin Santana. He's got a 175 ERA. Definitely been a surprise. You know, I I was I was pretty high on Irvin Santana coming into this year because he was basically free. But at no point. Did I think he was going to do this? A 175 ERA, and it no, uh, in no way, shape, or form, would I be fooling myself to believe that he's going to maintain anything, really anything close to that the rest of the season. Um, unlike Alex Wood, the skills just simply aren't there to back up this kind of surge from Irvin Santana. Uh, you know, looking at it right now, strikeout rate's actually down. Uh, you know, a little bit, 19.9, we'll round it to 20, down to 19% this year, 19.9 to 19.3, so it's negligible, it's the same, who cares, it's the same, walk rate is up though, a career high 10%, this is a dude who's been 7, 7.5% his entire career for the most part, and now he's up at 10, so they got worse, <laughs> swing strike rate is down from 10% last year, 9% career to 8.5 this year, round it to 9, so neutral or down, and you're looking, and it really is Babbitt. It really, really is Babbitt. 143 Babbitt is just ridiculous for Irvin Santana, and that can't really maintain. Uh, there's nothing in the profile that suggests that he's really influencing that. Uh, you just can't find anything that backs this kind of surge for Irvin Santana. So the other shoe is going to drop on this. It will happen. There is, okay, I shouldn't say there's nothing. There is one factor, but it's not enough to even feel comfortable that he that he could have like a 230, 240 BABIP the rest of the way, which would be pretty good. 
Like that's pretty good. If you can maintain that kind of BABIP over a course of a year, obviously that's that's really sharp. Um, and I don't even I don't even see anything like that for Urban Santana. But the one factor that he does have is um, his fly ball rate is way up to a career high. Is it career high? Not not quite a career high, but like a eight year high, forty three and a half percent. Um, and along with that, there's a 13% infield fly ball rate. So he's getting a lot more pop-ups and that certainly helps. You know, those are free outs. Those are basically, you know, strikeouts in, in t- terms of their probability of being an out. Maybe, maybe a little bit lower because some pop-ups of course can drop in, you know, to those Bermuda triangles, uh, when, you know, center fielder, right fielder and second baseman all converge on it, those sorts of things. Uh, whereas a strikeout is what 99.9999999% and out the, 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 the remainder there is the time that it's a drop third strike where the guy's safe. So either way, that's one factor. That's one positive factor that I can find. But that's, again, not nearly enough to put Urban Santana at a 175 ERA and a 143 BABIP and say that there's some, some believability there. So the thing of it is you can sell out. You can, you can, you can move on and try to trade him. You're not going to get anything that's going to like make you really move the needle on a one-for-one trade. He's going to have to like be involved in something bigger, and the impact of involving him in your two-for-two two or three-for-three three trade, you can get a little bit more juice out of it. I actually think that saying, okay, I'll include Irvin Santana, and you throw it back this guy. I think you're going to get more out of that than saying, I have Irvin Santana. I'm trying to trade for a bat. Because nobody's going to be buying and saying, ooh, there's my season saver. You can find someone who's going to buy Alex Wood and say, that's my season saver. Because there's so much skill that's supporting him. Even though, you know, uh, there will be some some give back for Wood. Um, I, I th- I'm saying 275 is kind of what I'm pegging him at. I think the the kind of worst end of that. If if he keeps these skills for the most part and again gives a little something back, I think the worst end for uh, Alex Wood is probably like a a three thirty, you know, that's uh, that's keeping these skills and giving some back on the left on base rate and the Babbitt. Well, with Urban Santana, I'm starting at like a three seventy five the rest of the year, and if things really go sideways and that Babbitt, you know, skyrockets back up. And he keeps walking guys like this. And you're talking 450. So there's a much wider range and you're starting much higher. He can be a a deeper league guy that you would want if your pitching is struggling just to get the innings, the quality in, you know, you're going to get quality innings. You know, you're going to get, you can get another, let's see, 140 innings. Let's see. And that would put him at. Uh, maybe not 140. That would put him at 217. I was just looking at the steamer. They got him for 144 the rest of the way. He hasn't topped 200 since 2013. So let's call it 120. Let's say there's 120 more innings for Urban Santana. That put him at 197 for the season. Um, you know, 120, 130 innings of of a 370. I think is kind of kind of a best case with these skills right now. And that's if he doesn't give anything back um, uh, outside of the BABIP, of course. Like the the base skills, the strikeout, walk, home run, ground ball rate, uh, home run rate. I know we can debate that, that. It's not always skill, right? There's some there's some luck there. But his his are where they've always been. The home runs are where they've always been for Irvin Santana. So not a game changer. Not somebody I'm trying to trade one for one. You're just not going to get a great return. I really think you're better focused to just say here's here's what I got. 
uh, in a two for two, a three for three sort of deal. And he shouldn't be the best player you're giving. He should kind of be the second best. And and, it, and you're trying to get a better first player from the other guy or, or gal that you're trading with. You say, I'm trying to think of a mock trade. I'm so bad at thinking of mock trades, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I think you get the point. Let's move on. Zach Godley, pitching today, actually. I'm, I'm recording this Wednesday, May 31st, as I said, um, in the afternoon. And he's pitching in Pittsburgh right now. He's got a 2 nothing lead through three. Let's see. He's got uh, he's three perfect with three strikeouts. He looks good. Um, he got off to like a fast start. His first couple starts It's like, whoa, everyone's taking notice. But even as it's kind of come back a little bit over the last couple, there's still a lot to take away that's positive. And there's some there's some Alex Wood-like uh, factors to Zach Godley's season right now. He doesn't have the gaudy strikeout rate, but he does have a, a big boost in swinging strike rate, big boost in velocity. He's also up from, from 90.8, I think that's what Wood was at, to 92.5. And I think Wood went from 90.8 to like 92.9 or something, whatever. Uh, but pretty much the same kind of two-mile-per-hour jump. Um, Strikeout rate is up from last year, 18% to 22%. But with that swinging strike rate of 13%, you you can expect more more strikeouts for Zach Godley as he continues to kind of go through here and and work with that swinging strike rate. He's always had a good swinging strike rate. That's why Zach Godley, when he, when he first got going here and he had those first two really big starts, I was I was intrigued right away because I looked at the profile from previous years and I was like, ooh, you know, there's a, there's like a little something here. By the way, that 22% strikeout rate is a little bit misleading. It's pulled down by one outing, believe it or not, against the Padres at the Padres. It was a fine outing, seven innings, three runs, but one strikeout. He only got him for one K. Let me see what his swing strike was in that game. 9%, which isn't, you know, elite. But he still should have gotten more than one strikeout. But all the other games, 13%, 16%, 17%, 12%. So far today, he's he's obviously been good as well. So um, he's going deep into games, you know, get, or deep for today, you know, six, six plus, seven uh, regularly, which is nice. Zach Godley, an- another thing that's Alex Wood like for him, 66% ground ball rate. And he's been adding every year, 46, 54, 66. So there's some, some major changes in Zach Godley, the 27-year-old. Not really a big prospect. I think he's you know a deep-level prospect for um, Arizona on their lists in previous years. But not somebody who you know was, ooh, Zach Godley, he's, he's a big prospect. If you, in fact, if you didn't look at kind of a deep prospect list, if you were only looking at top 10s, you probably didn't even really see him on on a lot of those. But I like what Zach Godley's doing. Uh, I think there are some intriguing aspects. Four-pitch mix, sitting 93, got a 91-mile-per-hour cutter uh, that he's using less. He's actually shifted over to the curveball uh, as, as, as a big factor now. So it's f- a lot of fastball, curveball stuff with the cutter and changeup mixed in. But all four pitches get used at least 11%, the changeup being the lowest at 11%. There's a lot to like here, and I actually just saw this today on Twitter that the humidor is 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 still coming. Hadn't heard a lot about it for quite a while. Uh, they initially mentioned it, and then it was kind of off the radar. And then I saw something today, I believe, from Steve Gilbert. Uh, can't remember who he writes for, and I apologize, but he's an Arizona guy, and I believe he said it's going to be functional in maybe a month. So that's only going to help somebody like a like a Zach Godley, like a Robbie Ray. 
Shelby Miller and Taiwan Walker when they're off the DL. So that that that's going to be interesting to see how it plays and how it maybe hurts the offense but helps the the pitching. Uh, so Zach Godley is somebody I would be interested in, and I don't think the price is high. So I think you can go out and get him without getting gouged, and I'd be interested in that. I think you put your expectations around a three and a half ERA, and you know more strikeouts than the twenty-two percent strikeout rate that we've seen so far. I think you'll be happy. Next up is Mike Leak, who you know has continued his hot stretch uh, to ten starts now. He's been great with a two twenty-four ERA. When it first started, and we were you know four or five starts deep, I'm like, he does this every year. You can go find a you know three to seven start run or, or or multiple ones of really quality work out of Mike Leak. And you're not gonna be surprised. Like that's I, I, I stress this a lot, but I'm gonna repeat it again. To be a major league starter who you know is a four or five, you have to have a lot of good starts over the course of thirty starts to maintain even a four fifty ERA let alone the 370, 337, 386, 370 again. Two 370s in a row that Mike Leakes put up. So like last year was a 469, and um, but the two years before that were both 370s, 337 the year before that. like There's variance, right, to go from 337 to 469, even with the same skills. His, actual, his strikeout-to-walk ratio was actually better in the 469 year than it was in the 337 year. And that's what happens when you allow a lot of contact and you know things can kind of go the wrong way sometimes. He had 10.3 hits last year. He's more of a nine hits per nine sort of guy. Home run guy as well. So if you're allowing more hits, that's going to be particularly painful for somebody like Leak because he does allow homers. And those are turning from solo shots to two and three run homers. But I look this year and I see the 10, the 10 starts now of, of quality work, 224 ERA, NL best, .94 whip. Uh, hasn't allowed more than four earned runs in a single outing. And in fact, his last outing uh, just two days ago on Monday is when he allowed the four runs. Other than that, it had been zero, one, two, or three. And in fact, he'd only allowed three one time. So eight of the outings have been zero to two runs. And he's getting the job done, man. Seven shutout innings at Washington. Uh, Going into Milwaukee's no picnic. He goes six innings, two runs. You know, going up against the Cubs and White Sox, uh, excuse me, Cubs and Red Sox back to back. They were both at home, but he goes six innings, two runs, seven innings, two runs against those two teams. Then back to back against the Dodgers um, away and home, he goes eight innings, one run at Chavez Ravine. And then, of course, the seven innings, four runs that I mentioned on Monday home to the Dodgers. And that was, you know, that was mostly one bad inning, uh, three hits, two runs in the third inning, and then scattered a couple other runs. But, you know, no one's really complaining about a seven-inning, four-run start. It's not bad. Now he didn't allow a single homer in um, in April, which was a, a a driving factor, especially for a guy who again allows homers. To not allow any for an entire month is huge. So that that was great. Uh, the homers have come back this month. One point five homers per nine, and I'm sorry, guys. I just don't really buy. The, the, this as like some sort of breakout year. Now he's probably going to wind up with something in his you know, 370 range. Like, he's got a career 390 ERA. I think his bottom line at the end of the year is going to be about that. But that's going to be there's going to be some downs. There's going to be some some rough ones coming. 
but there's still going to be plenty of good ones. Like, I don't really mind maybe getting Leak in a, in a, in a deep mixer or an NL only if you need pitching. Now, if you need a lot of pitching, like that's not going to be your top choice. But if you're going out, you're kind of revamping your pitching and you're going to go somewhere and try to get an, uh, like an ace type and you're going to go another place and try to get a couple mid-rotation guys, he can be one of those mid-rotation guys if you're revamping. But obviously he's not your answer to completely change your pitching, Mike Leak isn't. He'll probably give you, I don't know, a four the rest of the way. But 130 innings of a four ERA has some value in, in, in leagues of, of, of a particular depth. I just don't think that you should be banking on the 235 BABIP and the 85% uh, left on base rate. He's got a 53% ground ball rate. He's always been ground ball lean. Uh, he was at 54% last year, 52 the year before, 53 the year before that. That's not at the level where you're impacting your BABIP, though. So he's been, I think he's been favorable on the Babbitt. I really do with Mike Leak. Um, and so I think that that's going to go back up and, and meander toward his career 290. Maybe he has a positive year and it's closer to 275, 280 by the end of the year, which would be one of his one of the best of his career. But I don't see a 235 sticking. I don't see a .8 homer per nine sticking. I just don't buy it. It's been great. This is within the range of outcomes, though. Because we see him do it five, six, seven starts um, at a time every once in a while over the course of, of most of his seasons. And this just happens to be a little bit of an extended run. Last May, uh, Mike Leak put up 39 innings, six starts of a 231 ERA. Six start run. Now, the last start in April was a seven inning, five run. And then the first start in June was six and a third, six runs. So that's where the run kind of stopped. But then he started one right back up. Uh, in in June, after that, so he go so June seventh at Cincy, he gives up those six runs and six and a third. Then he reels off another, you know, forty two and a third innings of 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 a three sixty one. That's not that's not amazing. There's there's kind of another dud built in. There's usually like a dud every five or so starts for Mike Leake. So that's why this this extended run is particularly impressive. But I don't think it's I don't think it's any more believable than than the ones that he's had in the past this one just happens to be um a little bit longer there's no pitch mix change there's uh you know 8.4 percent swing strike rate is a career high but it's still not good and it's not uh, appreciably different than his career 7.2 mark to suggest that there's a big change there's um you know he's not throwing it in the zone more often uh, not appreciably 45 percent to 46 percent same with first pitch strike rate 62 to 63 oh swing percentage 31 that's what it was last year 31 percent there's just not anything here from mike week that says wow he's really having a crazy breakout year at age 29 he is who he is all right so next up we've got who do we got? Ooh, Derek Holland. Good old Derek Holland. Now, Derek Holland had to, you know, had to really get into this. Now, we're, we're 10 starts deep before people would start believing because we had several years of Derek Holland not really doing anything of note. And so I understand why, you know, folks are, are probably still skeptical. I completely get that. You know, after kind of having a promising mid-20s where it looked like, okay, Derek Holland might be some. I was on the Derek Holland bandwagon for multiple years. Um, but then his late 20s it was injury-riddled and and 
you know, had poor performance as well. I, I think you go more toward the injury riddled because I, I think the poor performance comes out of the injuries. So I, I'm reluctant to say like, oh, he, 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 he lost his skill. I think health played a big, big, big role. He looks a lot more healthy right now, and he's got a 237 ERA. But I talk about this a lot too, guys. I say ERA and whip combos. Look at them in tandem. And if something stands out, you have to investigate, right? 237 ERA, 124 whip. That stands out. That whip is too high for that ERA. And so I don't buy it. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's that simple. Um, and nor, nor should we buy it at a 237 clip. Uh, 21% strikeout rate, 10% walk rate. Uh, the walk rate's up. That's actually tied with a career worst at 20 from 2010. Uh, passable, though. I'm not, I'm not freaking out about that. The, the strikeout rate is up. It's a four-year high right now at 21% and uh, matches a career high. It's 20.5 if we're going to get technical Tommy over here, and he's had 21.1 and 21.3. We're going to round. 21% is a career best. It's tied for a career best. But an 8.7% swinging strike rate says, okay, that's fine. Like those two things match. Like that 21% is not special just because it's a career high. And 9% swinging strike rate is also not special. And it is tied for a career high. Actually, it is a career. No, no. It's not even tied for a career high. Learn how to read, Paul. He's at 10% a couple times. But Derek Holland um, is toting a 257 Babbitt, a 76% left on base rate. And, you know, he's doing some positive things, but not enough to where I'm like, ooh, he's completely different. Things are changed. Um, his hard contact rate is actually at 37%. That is a career high. So they're clubbing the ball, and it's just kind of going in his favor right now. I'm not so sure that I would really give this much credence at all. I think that right now, I think Derek Holland is a, is a is a 420 ERA kind of pitcher, and he's 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 running really hot right now. You know, particularly over his last seven starts, he's got a 245 ERA with 44 uh, 39 strikeouts in 44 innings. Only one bad start there, and it was kind of masked by some unearned runs. He allowed seven against Minnesota, but only three were earned. But he had four walks, three homers allowed. Like, there's a reckoning coming here. His last three starts have been great at the Angels, at Seattle, and against the Tigers. He struck out a season-high eight against the Tigers. He looked sharp. I watched that game. It was the second game of a doubleheader, and I'm like, oh, you know, Derek Holland looking good. This goes back to my earlier point about somebody like Mike Leake, though. Even to be a, a, a 4 five starter, you're going to have to have a lot of good starts. We're seeing some good starts out of Derek Holland, but Derek Holland's a 4-5 Major League starter, which means he's a fringe um fantasy guy unless you're talking about you know a super deep rotation you know the best rotations in the league yes they're four or five guy could be an automatic starter everywhere the chicago white Sox do not have such a rotation in fact their ace right now has been horrific jose quintana there's something wrong with him uh, i don't know what it is but like miguel gonzalez you know that there it is miguel gonzalez put him in Derek holland however you think of miguel gonzalez think of Derek holland similarly except maybe Derek Holland will get a few more strikeouts, you know, but otherwise put them in that same sort of tier where, wherever you have them, wherever you have Miguel Gonzalez, get Derek Holland there. 237 ERA. Don't buy, don't 
don't look to, to acquire him, sell him, or outright cut him. If you've been riding this train, do not be afraid to just cut him. Now, AL only, I understand you can't really just do that. There's probably not going to be something on the wire that's worth doing it. Uh, but but if you've been riding in a mixed league, you're, you're, you're super hurt. You got a lot of injuries. And you're like, I got to just take a shot on Derek Holland here. And you've got four or five good starts in a row. And then something, you know, you're getting James Paxton back tonight. Or um, you see something else pop up on the wire that you really like. Just cut him. You don't need to hold on to Derek Holland. You do not need to wait for the proverbial other shoe to drop. Let's move over to Jason Vargas, a guy we've talked about um, a bit this year. I wrote about him, talked about him on the pod some. He's having a really interesting season. 239 ERA, 113 whip, uh, 21% strikeout rate. Would be a career high uh, if he if he maintains it for the full year by a lot. In fact, he can give back some, and he's still going to set a career high if he just kind of continues here. 6% walk rate, always been a guy who doesn't walk guys, so that's awesome. And 12% swinging strike rate. So there is a big difference. And if you look, this looks a lot like the 12 innings that, that Jason Vargas had last year, but it was only 12 innings. So what, what do we do with that? Nothing. You can't. You can't really do anything with it. However, now we're deeper into something. We're 60 and a third innings in. And it's looking like there is a little bit of something here. He's always had a great changeup. That's always been his his out pitch, his plus pitch. Uh, the way he's playing the fastball off of the changeup, though, has turned the changeup into a plus plus pitch, in my opinion. Uh, and, and it's a lot with with zone location that has been uh, working for somebody like uh, for somebody like Vargas. And you know. It started better early on. He had 16%, 10%, 14%, 18% swinging strike rates in his first four starts. He's bounced around since then. 4%, 10 10%, 16%, 10%, 11%, 6%. Two real duds in there. His last outing at Cleveland, 6%. And then the 4% against the White Sox. Um, and I think that was the, the outing where they where they really clubbed him around. Um, oh, no. Actually, that was the better one. They clubbed him around. In, in a different one where his swing strike rate was actually better. But uh, either way, you know, so he's had a couple of terrible strikeout games that he got one and then two strikeouts in those two games respectively. But five and two-thirds, two runs against the Indians in that in the outing. He did give up nine hits, so he was, he was riding a little bit lucky there. Um, but I look at this as a whole, and I see some believability to it. And when I wrote him up, I said, you know, this is a guy that, I'm not just going to jump off at the first sign of a bad start, at, at you know, the first ugly start. And the first, ugly, it wasn't even ugly, but the first like bad start was at the White Sox, five innings, seven hits, four runs, three of them earned. The The first like truly bad start was four innings, six runs against the Yankees on May 17th. And then he bounced right back against that same Yankees team in Yankee Stadium with six innings and three runs. Baseline quality start with six strikeouts on four hits. He did allow two homers, um, you know, which is going to happen in, 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 in the Bronx. So I don't know. I 239 ERA, right? Not going to keep that up. Of course, not you know, not, not saying anything special there. He throws 86 miles per hour. That definitely scares folks, but I don't know. I think, I think there's a little, there, there's some stuff here that I like that I think can kind of keep him as a, a, a useful guy again in leagues of a certain depth. Sorry, 10 teamers. This, this, this guy's not really for you right now. You can kind of stream him, 
but he's not somebody that you're you're setting and forgetting. But you start getting beyond that, and with the way pitching's been ravaged, I you know he's a career 409 ERA, and he's been around for a while. Jason Vargas has. And again, I'll reiterate my point. To be a 409 over 1,282 innings, you have a lot of good starts. A lot. With weak skills, y'all. 16% career strikeout rate. Uh, well, weak strikeout skill. He actually has a you know 6.8% career walk rate. That's fantastic. But he allows homers, you know, 1.1 career mark, but he's at 0.75 this year. If he can keep the homers under one, I think we can have more of a low to mid threes ERA, which for me would be like, you know, 320 to 360, low to mid. If the homers creep back up to the 1.1, I think we're looking more like his career mark with maybe a little bit of favorability, say 360 to 410. But again, there's some there's some viability to even a guy who's going to do that. I wouldn't, again, not trading for Jason Vargas. I'm not out where I got, oh, I got to get Jason Vargas. But if you got him, he's probably still on some waiver wires even or or has gone back to some waiver wires. Like he got used for a little while. He said, okay, I'm pushing him back out there. I don't want to be holding that that uh, that hot potato. There's going to be some dud starts, I think. You know, some three homer tough outings. But... I don't think it, again, I don't think it spells the end of Vargas. If he continues to get swinging strikes the way he is, and it won't be every game, but if but if if you, if you see like three in a row of like a 5% swinging strike rate, okay, then we start to start to worry a little bit. But if he, if he you know, he might mix in some of the low ones and then Vargas spikes another 12, uh, you know, 15%, um, you know, a big eight strikeout game where he's at 18%. You know, if he's still getting the consistent double-digit swinging strike rates, that's that's kind of the meter for me to say, okay, then the, this new Vargas is sticking around. Because with his previous strikeout rates, you can't really use him, especially in an innings cap league. He's actively hurting you. But at 21%, which is 7.6 on the K-9 for him this year, I can use that. So I'm more, I think I'm more bullish on, on Jason Vargas than most. Most are waiting for the other shoe to drop and they think sucks. Not me. Um, All right. I'm good. This is going to take nine years. If I'm, if I'm going to cover every guy that I want, because I have a list of 16 and we're only on number seven, which is Michael Fulmer. So I'm going to be a little bit quicker here um, on on some of these guys that probably don't need as much. You know what? I'm going to check a couple off right away. Andrew Kashner, go away. 292 a negative strikeout minus walk rate. Negative. He's minus 2%. 11% strikeout rate, 13% walk rate. Get out of here. Your 292 is the biggest fluke in the world. You need to be two runs higher with the skills that, that you're showing. Bye, Andrew Kashner. Um, another one that I can maybe knock off a little bit quicker here. Gio Gonzalez. I've always been a Geo backer. I just I like Geo Gonzalez, but I'm not delusional enough to think that this 280 ERA or excuse me 290 ERA is is some return to his previous glory. His walk rate, which was previously a major issue when he was coming up, is back up to 12% right now. Uh, a 51% first pitch strike rate is actually a career low, which is which is very problematic. Um, none of this, you know. 
26% O swing percentage actually is a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight year low. Uh, 21% strikeout rate is a career low. Wait, no, not career low. Also an eight-year low. There's just nothing backing this up. 1.3 homers per nine. Um, no, this is not happening. This is not happening. Oh, wait, I think his ERA is up to... I, I need to update this. Hang on, let me refresh. I made my little uh, leaderboard of these of these players that I was going to talk about, and he had a 290. I think he must pitched yesterday, and now Gio Gonzalez is up to 303. Let me see what he did yesterday. Yeah, he had a baseline quality start at the Giants with six strikeouts. Not bad. And the outing before that was five and a third, two earned, eight strikeouts against uh, the, the Mariners. Strikeouts are... If the strikeouts can be there that's going to give me some interest in Gio Gonzalez but I'm not seeing where the swinging strike rate or anything suggests that I really need to be invested in Gio Gonzalez I think this is a more of a ticking time bomb even at you know 303 ERA skills don't back it move sell buy uh, don't buy cut I, I I literally was going to say move sell buy those are those are wrong move sell cut like just Get away from Gio Gonzalez right now. You you don't want in on that. Okay, now let's get back to Fulmer. 265 ERA. Eno and I were pretty high on Fulmer coming into the year. Uh, our our thinking was what he kind of gives back. You know, the BABIP was low, and folks were saying, okay, you know, the BABIP's going to go up, and so he's going to give up some more hits. Three, 376 FIP, people were looking at. What we thought was the ERA might go up from the 306 of last year. But he would counterbalance that with more innings and more strikeouts. He had 159 innings last year. He came up, you know, after the season started. Looks more like a, a workhorse type who can go the 190 plus. And so even if the strikeout rate doesn't soar, we thought it would go up to like low eights. And then the volume alone would be nice. By the way, Zach Godley's giving up a run here. I jinxed him. It's still, it's still only 2-1. You got this, Zach. Um, it hasn't played out that way, but he's still been good. So we certainly feel good about uh, recommending him because you're, you're, you're getting you're getting quality work through 68 innings, but it just hasn't been the exact way that we thought. But I watch just about every one of Fulmer's starts, and this is one of the th- – th- this reminds me when I watch Fulmer and I compare his stats to, to what I've seen, it reminds me to watch guys. Not that I really have trouble with that. I love just watching – you know, different starts, but it reminds me, okay, you cannot just use the box score. You have to watch what's going on because the strikeout rate's actually down a little bit from 20.4 to 19.5. So, you know, negligible, but, but technically down about a percentage point. Uh, the walk rate's down though, too, a percentage point as well from six and a half to 5.4. Um, but the strikeouts aren't up. Um, and, and so you're like, well, how is this ERA better when, when the when the base skills aren't aren't inherently better, it, it's one of the again it's one of those things that you watch and you see him, and he's just he's so good at getting out of trouble, and and this is I know that for Fangraphs you know the statistical must show evidence website this is a little a, a little flimsy. But the dude, I mean, the composure, like the, the the way that he looks, Michael Fulmer, when he's pitching, when there's, you know, first batter of the game, nobody on, and, and you're just getting started. 
it, it looks the same when there's when there's you know runners on second and third, nobody out in the fifth inning. You know, with it that so that's obviously a, a pretty substantial jam. Like he just doesn't change in terms of freaking out. He keeps that even keel and makes the pitches that he has to. And I'm looking now. So some of you are probably going to look at the game log and say 10, 8, and 9 hits the last three outings. That dude is 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 about to freaking, you know, have major regression. How's he, how's he getting 3, 1, and 3 earned runs in those outings? Well, a lot of those 27 hits were the most babippy garbage. It was absolutely ridiculous, especially, especially, especially against Baltimore. But uh, also in that White Sox start, Houston, I'm trying to remember. I, I didn't watch as much of the Houston start. It's harder to watch Houston games because it's not on our cable. And so I have to take back channels, if you will. So I, I, I don't think I watched that one. I think I watched three of the four games and I might have missed his. Um, but I know in those other two starts, Baltimore, when he gave up 10 hits, uh, White Sox, when he gave up nine, a lot of those were not, you know, little little dinkers and dunkers. If you look... Between the entire deal, it was out of the out of the nineteen hits, four went for extra bases in those two. If you just add it all up, the twenty seven hits, you got six going for extra bases, uh, five doubles and and a triple, no homers. And so, you know, I I think that speaks to what I'm saying is that he was he was bleeders infield hits just over the outstretched hand of an Ian Kinsler here or just under the glove of of a diving you know Jose Iglesias there it was kind of crazy it really was um to watch him kind of labor through that he ended up getting the dub against Baltimore but then you know hard luck losses against Houston and the White Sox given the way he pitched and the bullpen came of course and crapped all over everything and and made sure that the Tigers lost but Michael Fulmer man I, I think he's just a beast in the making I really do think he's a star in the making I am a Tigers fan full disclosure as y'all know uh and so I understand you know if you want to you know discount it a little bit but I encourage you to watch I really do you'll see what I'm talking about with this guy he is a total beast and I think he's got a chance to kind of, and I know this is going to be a, a, a bad count for some because they're going to think of present day, but but do me a favor and try to think of of Washington version. I think he could be his his heir as Jordan Zimmerman, where you know the the skills might not be overwhelming in terms of strikeout rate, but he doesn't walk guys, doesn't make the the key mistake when when there's the runners on, doesn't give up to homers. You know, gets more ground balls than not, but isn't overwhelmingly ground ball, and just beasts out for a buck ninety to two hundred every year. And I really think that's what we're seeing with Fulmer, and that's that's where he, where he's headed. Uh, I would certainly buy if somebody is is concerned that the two sixty five is way over his head because they see the the nineteen and a half percent strike rate, and they're like, mm, I don't know. I'm in. I'm in. I still think that there could be more strikeouts too. I'm not, I'm not abandoned that after 10 starts. Uh, we haven't seen it so far, but the stuff is unquestionably there. And in fact, before the last two starts, when he was getting his face, you know, two of the three where he's getting his face babbipped off, before that, he had an 11% swing strike rate. So the last two games have kind of really pushed him down, especially that last game against the White Sox. He only had a 3%. They were making contact, um, but it wasn't good contact. And and they shouldn't have been getting as many hits as they did. But 
That's baseball, especially in, 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 a, in a one single outing. They had an 11% hard contact rate, 13% for Houston, 19% for Baltimore. They're not striking the ball well off this guy. So I like Michael Fulmer. I'm in. I'm not, to, I'm not uh, you know, dissuaded by my uh, enjoyment of, of what he does at all through 10 starts, and he's a full-on buy for me. Next up is Eduardo Rodriguez, a guy that I, I, I've touted in the past as an up-and-coming prospect, but I was scared of this year because of the knee. The knee flared up again, and it's been a consistent injury in that lower half, and so I was scared. And so I backed off. I, I got one share, uh, and I recently traded for another, so I have two now. But it was just, you know, and I cut my leagues, so, you know, um, I think I'm under 10 this year, y'all. It might be 10 exactly. I don't know. I know that's that sounds crazy for some of you. Like you cut, you cut, and you might still have ten. Let me see how many I've got. Let's see: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay, I have eleven. I had like eighteen last year though, so I cut. I sent some notes. Anyway, Eduardo Rodriguez, lot of lot of positivity in what he's doing this year. Two seventy seven ERA, one twelve WHIP. Big spike in strikeouts. Again, a guy that you, you, you watch him and you're like, this guy's got to get more strikeouts. He had a 22% strikeout rate last year, which is not bad at all. 8.4 on the K9. For those of you that like still like that measure. Um, and K9, I'm not saying it's like inherently a bad measure. I just think K percentage is more useful because it's based on batter's face. I'll explain that, by the way. K9, of course, is based on innings. Well, if you struggle and you give up more hits and walks, you, you have more opportunities to get strikeouts. So your K9 can be, you know, looking impressive, but your strikeout rate isn't necessarily that great. So I like strikeout rate because it's against batters faced. Whereas, uh, so it gives you the, you know, how, how often are you striking out batters against who you're facing as opposed to K9, which can be inflated by actually struggling. You could be, you know, Trevor Bauer, that, that kind of guy, like Tim Lincecum when he was struggling, um, you know, could be a guy who's canine. Oh, his canine still looks good. Yeah, because he he gives up you know so many hits and walks that uh, he eventually strikes out the ninth batter that he faces in an inning. But he had to go nine batters. So anyway, I like K percentage better, but I will reference the K nine every once in a while for y'all. Um, nine point six K nine this year, twenty seven percent strikeout rate for Eduardo Rodriguez. Very very good stuff with what he's doing. Twelve percent swinging strike rate is up. Walk rate, you know, he's always been somebody that, that looks like he's going to have, you know, a decent, a, a, a decently high walk rate, but not to the point where you're panicked about it. 10% is not great, you know, you're not writing home about that. In fact, it's 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 worse than average, of course, but I'm not freaked out by it when you get 27% strikeout rate. And, you know, the knee doesn't appear to be bothering him at all. He looks he looks fantastic this year. Um, he's, he's a fly ball guy. But he does, he does get, uh, you know, he, he does keep the ball in the air, but he doesn't give up an exorbitant amount of home runs. He did last year, but the year before that, and so far this year, he's he's been under. So it's not always um, you know, super hard contact issues in the air. He has he has a middling, you know. Let me see, let me see where it's related to averages in terms of his hard contact rate, because I think it's a little bit better than average, but not substantially so. This is Eduardo Rodriguez. He's got, oh yeah, 32% is average. He's at 28%. So, you know, not bad. Um, I don't see him as somebody who's like a 1-2 homer per nine guy. I think he's more of a, uh, you know, 0.9, 
be even one. 1.0 is okay. Now, the problem is, though, if the homers go up, that's when the walks can become a problem. So I would like to see him kind of get back toward his 8% career mark or even the 7% career mark of 20 or uh, 7% mark of 2015. That'd be great. But there, there's an interplay there between the strikeouts and the walks, I'd imagine. You got the nasty stuff that you got to get them chasing. Sometimes they're going to spin on it and, and you're going to end up walking, guys. So there's a lot of factors to like with, with Eduardo Rodriguez. I don't think he's necessarily a 277 guy, but I do think we could be seeing a breakout season, you know, um, a 330 ERA guy over 180 would be very nice with over a strikeout per inning on a team like Boston, which still hasn't necessarily hit their full stride. If they do kind of get going at the level that uh, that a lot of us believe they, they could have this year, start piling up the W's as well. So I like Eduardo Rodriguez for sure. Uh, skipped Cashner. Luis Severino is next. By the way, this is split evenly AL and NL. So for those of you that play only leagues, I'm, I'm, I'm covering I'm covering uh, both sides nicely here. Luis Severino has been tremendous. And I kind of put him in the, a uh, little bit in the Eduardo Rodriguez camp in terms of I wasn't super in on him. It was a different reason. Um, I just, I don't, I didn't know what to make of him. After 2015, I thought he was wildly overrated because he had that 289 ERA and he was a prospect. He, and he threw hard and we wanted him to be good. And I've been guilty of that with players before too. So I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying that I looked at a 1.3 homer per nine and I was like, let's tap the brakes on this guy. He didn't have, you know, he didn't have a ton of swing and miss. I don't know that he's ready to be the dude. And so that, you know, that's kind of where I was with uh, Luis Severino after 2015. Well, it went completely the other way in 2016. I never thought he'd be a 583 ERA guy. I just didn't think he was 289. So he goes all the way over to 583, which is insanity. And, um, you know, the homers were again an issue. The skills were basically the same. And you're like, well, it was 71 innings again, though. So if you're not going to go crazy over 62 innings on the positive, you can't really say 71 innings of the negative. That's confirmation bias if you just say, well, that's who he is, too. So I just didn't know. 23-year-old. And so I you know, I considered him a little bit, but I just wasn't super in on him. And Luis Severino has been tremendous so far. Again, 61 innings. So similar kind of sample that we're looking at. But... I do think it is a, um, a, it's not a big enough sample to say this is who he is, but the changes within the sample are what's impressive. 28% strikeout rate, 12% swinging strike rate, 6% walk rate, all career bests easily. 1.0 homer per nine rate down from the one three one four that he did the last two years. Uh, ground ball rate is up 54%. Um, you know, O swing rate is up a little bit, not, not, not substantially so. We're like, whoa, that's crazy. But it is up a little bit, so he's getting more chases. Uh, he's working in the zone more often, though. And and they're making less contact in the zone. So he's in there more often, and they're making less contact. That's positive. First pitch strike rate is up. Uh, Velocity is actually up, too, although that could just be the stat cast change. It looks like to be about a mile per hour, so that could just be the, the changeover. Now, the one thing is he does only have, like, the, the the two super reliable pitches, fastball, slider. Uh, but he is using his changeup 9% of the time. There's a lot of Michael Pineda here. Pineda? Am I saying it right? People crush me on that. I, I think I, sometimes I say Pineda with, with, with that Y sound. Pineda. P 
Pinata. Let's just call him Pinata, which is no. It's tough to call him that right now. We're actually going to get to him in a moment. Let's let's just let's just fold him in here. He's got a 332 ERA. Uh, Michael Pineda does. So both of them are pitching really well, but they're mostly fastball slider guys. I will say though that that Severino's changeup has 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 garnered some some positive results for sure. It, you know, he's only thrown it 118 times, but a 36% strikeout rate. Um, a, a 255 OPS against. Let me see how many plate appearances that is. That's 28 plate appearances with the changeup. That's that's something. That's something. That is a more usable pitch. So I do think he he's even more of a three pitch guy than um, than Pineda. Pineda has only thrown 90 for changeups this year. He only has 16 plate appearances with his changeup, and his changeup's actually been bad. It's allowed a uh, let's see here. It's allowed a. F- an 1125 OPS off of Pineda's changeup. Whoops. So um, he's actually been Pineda plus this year. He's he's shown up his 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 partner in crime there. But both have been fantastic. Pineda's had a 3.32 ERA, 104 WHIP. Same as always for the most part for Pineda. 28% strikeout rate matches last year. 5% walk rate is better than last year, but he's always been good at, at not giving up walks. 14% swinging strike rate matches last year. 1.7 homer per nine. I think last outing was the first one all year. Oh no, only the second one all year where he hasn't given up a homer. And that's against Oakland. Oakland's been hitting some homers this year, so that's impressive for Pineda. I just don't know that I've seen enough change to really fully believe that Pineda is is not fixed because I don't think he's like ever broken but to think that he's an elite guy now I think that the hit suppression has been there and part of it you know he gets credit for some of it but there has been some good luck and some probably some good defense too like a lot of factors working in his favor to get down to a 262 Babbitt which you know he was at 332 and 339 the last two years and so, you know, he again he gets some credit for that, but I I I think I think there's a little bit of fire here that we're playing with 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 Pineda. Now I put him in the must start category, and everyone's like, "Ooh, you changed your tune on Pineda." I act, I actually did not. I have not. But when he's pitching like this right now, how would you take him out? And I think if you're going to have Pineda anyway, I don't know that even even if he kind of comes back to earth a little bit. He still strikes me as somebody who, if you're going to have him, is a must start because you don't know when the bad starts come. That's part of the infuriating thing about Michael Pineda is that there is no obvious home road or or lefty righty, you know, anything like that. So you don't know when to pick and choose. So you just have to use them and you have to take the duds. Now we haven't had duds this year. It's been fantastic, so credit to that. But that's just putting him in the must start. That that's kind of the point I wanted to make with the must start. The must start doesn't automatically mean the best guys. It means this is a guy who has a, has a, a, a great skill base in terms of his strikeout and walk ratio, bad home run rate, but no discernible split flaw that allows us to pick and choose when to start him. So you just start him, and unless he completely falls off the map. Then we can reassess, but right now you just have to start uh, Pineda. Severino's pretty close to that too, uh, in terms of the must start. You're not taking him out right now. I don't think I put him in must start, but just because they weren't listed in there doesn't mean you're not starting them. Like a lot of teams that have Severino don't have the other guys from the must start category, so they got to start him anyway. Um, they've both been really good. 
hats off to both of them. I'm not necessarily running away from either or you know, saying I have to sell them. I'm just saying with Pineda specifically, I think that you know, being at 332 ERA, it could inch up a bit more. Severino at 293, with the way he's pitching, I don't think it's necessarily gonna gonna scoot all the way back if he continues to pitch like this. Now, if the homers go back up for Severino, obviously that's gonna change things drastically. But with these skills, I think I'm even more in on Severino than Pineda just because he's not allowing the homers, whereas Pineda is. But I could see putting either on my team right now if I need a pitching help. Um, but you better believe that that with those homers with Pineda, there's going to be a dud. There's going to be a dud. He's not getting he's not getting through the season scot-free without some seven or run outing. I'm sorry. He's just not. He's just not. All right, we got a few more here. Trevor Cahill's next. He's on the DL right now. In fact, let me get a let me get a status update on him. I'll, I'll do this live with y'all. Let's take a look. Let's see what the I'll, I'll grab a drink while that website's loading. All right, no structural damage in his shoulder, but he did have a setback on May twenty first. So this is this is unfortunate because he's having an amazing breakout season. I know it sounds crazy to say breakout at age 29, um, you know, because he kind of broke through in 2010 when he put up a 297 ERA and a 111 whip. But we all knew that that was pretty fraudulent given the skills that he had. Uh, this year, you know, seven years later, career high 91 mile per Oh, not career high. Damn it. Um, oh, it was out of the bullpen in 2015. So this is a career high as a starter, 91 mile per hour fastball, uh, mostly sinker, really. But 30% strikeout rate, 14% swinging strike rate. Uh, he's incorporated a cutter. He's using his curveball more. I think there's just a lot to like with what Trevor Cahill's doing, but the health really muddies the water. And so I don't know what to make of it. Now, here's an interesting factor. He does have a 300 BABIP, but a 214 average against. I think I think BABIP and average, you know, you look at those kind of in tandem, like the ERA whip thing, and if if one stands out, you kind of hmm, you kind of raise your eyebrow, like what? So that batting average is probably going to go up, right? Like, so he already has a 121 whip to go with his 327 ERA. So we're not expecting ace level here. But what I really love is the strikeouts and the support for the strikeouts, which is his swinging strike rate. And getting more chases, 34%. Uh, o swing percentage is far and away a career high. He's a 26% career guy. And his career best before that was 29%. So lots to like in terms of the strikeout viability of Trevor Cahill. And that's what I would focus on. Beyond that, I would plan for when he comes back. Let's Again, let's assume uh, that he's going to come back. Well, let's see what it says here. Um Probably not going to see him until mid to late June. So we might have another month, unfortunately. So that that really muddies the water here. But let's assume he comes back healthy in mid June, and and we're not we're just going to assess him on the skills as opposed to you know trying to add the injury uncertainty. I would plan for like a three eighty ERA and a one one thirty whip, three eighty one thirty, but over strikeout per inning. You know, looking like looking like he can probably even maintain the eleven point one, but let's call it you know let's call it nine and a half. Even if it goes down to nine and a half strikeouts per nine, which is probably about a twenty six percent strikeout rate, 
I'll take the ERA and WHIP, which aren't even killers, because he's you're not relying on Trevor Cahill. Now, if if Kershaw gives you a 380-130, that's hurting you because the expectations were so much higher. If you get that from Cahill, that's a plus because you were expecting worse plus the strikeouts. So I don't think you should buy Cahill because of the injury. I think that muddies it up way too much to go out and and buy um, unless it's absolute peanuts. It's like a throw in. Hey man, throw throw me throw me Cahill as well, uh, and, and we'll get this deal done. Um, that would be something, but don't go make him a focus because we don't know what's going to happen here with the shoulder. All right, let's finish up with a trio of pitchers from the same team, the Colorado Rockies. Now, if I told you that two months into the season the Colorado Rockies were leading the division, you might not be that surprised. Some of you probably gobsmacked by it others were picking them for a wild card so you know if you were one such person you you're certainly not surprised by that you know wild card team can definitely be leading the division really at any point uh they're 33 and 20 that is one of the best records in the league maybe second best uh to to houston's 36 16 36 and 16 here's the thing though if i had told you that Uh, say, hey, at the end of May, the Rockies are going to be leading the division and Trevor Story's hitting 201 with a a 757 OPS. 757 is actually not that bad. I guess the 201 really stands out, so it's more of a poor fantasy output than than actual. I mean, he's got an 86 OPS plus. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's good. But if I told you, okay, Trevor Story got 86 OPS plus. DJ LeMahieu, 81. Carlos Gonzalez, 68. They've all been nightmares. Ian Desmond hurt and then a 72 OPS plus since he's been back. And no John Gray. Um, you know, he did th- he had three starts and he's been hurt. If I told you all that and they're still in first, you'd have thought I was crazy. You'd have thought I was crazy. Uh, they've had a rebirth from Mark Reynolds, something that some of us expected last year. We thought, oh, man, getting Mark Reynolds in, in Coors Field, that's going to be awesome. And he was pretty underwhelming last year, but this year he's kicked it in a high gear at age 33. But the the key has been our final three guys here to talk about as far as ERA leaders. Antonio Senzatella, Kyle Freeland, and Jermaine Marquez. Wait, I'm saying that name wrong. Hang on. Herman, excuse me. Herman Marquez. Uh, they're all three among the leaders. Now Marquez has a 376. He's the lowest of the entire group. But of course, I loop, uh, you know I included him with his teammates just to kind of highlight the way the uh, the way the Rockies have been. Senzatella's got a 319 mark. Freeland's at 343. Now let's talk about them each individually. Let's start with Senzatella, the the leader as far as the ERA goes. He's been he's been really impressive. Uh, to post that to post that kind of number with a 115 whip in his 62 innings of work. Um, let's see how did they how did they acquire him? Was he acquired as a uh, as like a free agent uh, pickup? He's from Venezuela. I don't see anywhere where he was drafted. I also don't see how he was acquired. So I'm going to assume free agent um, like a like a uh, amateur free agent. He's 22 years old. He throws uh, th- throws pretty hard. I think he throws 94, 
Yeah, 94 on the dot. Here's the thing. This feels a little fraudulent. I don't want to rain on the Rockies parade. I really hope that they have a lot of success, but I I, I, I can't get in on the Sensatella thing as something that I'm fully buying. Now, I am buying it somewhat. I think where I'm not buying it so much is at home. I think he's more Tyler Chatwood than anything else, but um, maybe not even him because it's not like he has a, a, an exorbitant ground ball rate. But I'm looking at a 15% strikeout rate, a 7% walk rate. The, the walk rate's good. A 6% swinging strike rate. And I don't know. I just I can't. I just don't see it with Senzatella as something that can continue at, at this kind of clip. Again, away from Coors Field, this kind of contact management sort of, you know, um, keep the ball on the ground more often than not. You know, 47% ground ball rate. Uh, limit the hard contact, 28%. Again, 32% is league average. Keep the ball in the park for the most part, 1.0 homers per nine. I can live with that from, from somebody like that who pitches in Coors Field. That, all this, though, doesn't add up. 20% O-swing percentage, that's terrible, actually. You know, 54% in the zone, so he fills the zone. And... I'm sorry. I don't see it with Sensatella. Mostly a two-pitch guy. Only uses this changeup 5% of the time. The wheels are going to come off of this. And it could be really bad because it could happen in Coors Field and, you know, multiple times. And it could, just, it could just be treacherous. I mean, he threw eight scoreless against the Cardinals at home just his last time out over the weekend. That's fantastic. You know, he's pitched well. Like, there's a lot of good games here. Uh, he had three seven-inning starts in a row, two of, two of which were at home. San Diego at San Francisco, home to, home to San Francisco uh, back in April. You know, he's, he's only gone five, three, three out of his ten starts. And two of those were, were five innings, four runs, which isn't awful. It's not going to kill you. But I can't find how this is going to sustain it anywhere near this clip. This is a 420 ERA pitcher, at least. That's the starting point, I think, for the rest of the season. And I want to be wrong, but that doesn't mean anything. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to couch. I'm not trying to hedge. I fully am where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that. So, like, I want to be wrong. And then if he ends up being good, say, I told you guys. No, no, no. I'll take my L if he beats it. Antonio Sensatella is at least a 420. That's where I'm starting. That's if everything continues to go well for him. It's a good story. It's not legit. I'm sorry, Antonio. Prove me wrong. That'd be great. Get your strikeout rate to 18%, 20%, and then we'll talk. 15%? I cannot have that much contact in course Field. I cannot. I simply cannot. It cannot last. Let's move over to Kyle Freeland. And it's a little bit of rinse and repeat, folks. He's a left-hander, and he throws 92. So it's you know um, it's not directly comparable to what uh, Sensatella does from the right side. But 92 from the left side isn't so bad. But a 15% strikeout rate, again, I cannot do that. 6% swinging strike rate, the exact same. You know, the, So the strikeout and swinging strike are the same exact as uh, Sensatella's, but he has an 11% walk rate, so it's worse. Now, the, the factor that really helps somebody like Freeland 
is he got a 61% ground ball rate. And again, that's getting into that level where he's controlling things a little bit more and having some agency over his BABIP, which happens to be 271 right now. The problem, again, is that when you're allowing that much contact, you're just putting a big burden on your defense and, and plain old luck. You know, you, you got to have some luck in your favor at that point, And I just don't know that it's going to hold up in Coors Field. <clears throat> so I'm nervous. I'm very much nervous. He has one bad outing this year, like one disaster. Six runs against San Diego and four and two thirds at home. Um, he hasn't allowed more than three in any other start. He's allowed just three in each of his last four. Uh, one out away from four straight baseline quality starts. Six and three, six and three, five and two thirds and three, six and three. Uh, those are two home, two away. You know, he's done some impressive things to kind of stay afloat here. But but where is it going to stick? Like, what can I see here that's going to make it stick? And particularly at home, right? That's where these guys are going to get ruined. And I understand if some of you guys are, are using them at road only. Okay. Okay, sure. But, like, in what league? If you're going to have them in NL only, for the most part, you – my experience. This is my experience. In a lot of only leagues, you don't get to make moves all the time. Most most leagues, I think, are weekly anyway. Like, let's start there, that most leagues are weekly. Um, I think a lot of them, you know, when, when they start running 10 teams, AL only, NL only, the depth of that league suggests that you can't really be picky that much. It's hard to, like, stream. So I don't know, like... Are you able to just use their road starts? Are they that good if you are? Is it even worth it? I don't think so, Tim. Especially with the strikeouts. Freeland, former first rounder. I think it was like number eight overall pick back in uh, 14 or 15. Hang on, let me scroll up here. Yeah, 14. And, you know, so there's some pedigree here. There's there's talent. There's real talent with both of these guys, Right? I, I feel bad just kind of crapping all over the parade, but I'm just trying to be real. And so while I, I will acknowledge that both these guys have some have some legit talent, it, it, it can't continue like this. Kyle Freeland is just in the wrong damn spot to be this ground ball, no strikeout monster. Like, let's get him over to PNC. PNC's the go-to now. Pittsburgh's the go-to park. Uh, with Petco kind of playing a little bit more neutral after some architectural changes that they made, namely that scoreboard that kind of cut into um, some of the pitching prowess that that park once had. Uh, PNC is my go-to in terms of like, ooh, get them, get them there. Um, but that hypothetical, that doesn't do jack for us. Like, who cares, okay? I mean, th they are where they are. Freeland and Sensatella and then Marquez, who we'll get to in a moment, are in Colorado. And so they got half their games that you can't really feel comfortable using particularly with Freeland and Sensatello because they have a 15% strikeout rate. They're just putting too much to chance. And right now it's working. I can't see it continuing. I don't know who I like more between the two. I don't know that there's that I can discern one way or the other that I'm so much more comfortable with one over the other. I like that Freeland has the ground ball rate, but I also like that, that Sensatello runs at mid-90s uh, with regularity. And let me look at something real quick. I, what, what's Sensatella's um, strikeout prowess from the minors? Does he have any? Let's see here. I'm looking at Freeland's right now, and, and, and he really doesn't. Charlotte disagrees. So here's the thing, y'all. 
Charlotte's a Rockies fan. She's pissed that I'm kind of crapping on, on her team. And I don't really, I mean, I should have closed the door so she can't hear me. Sorry, Charlotte. I'm just kidding. She just barks for no damn reason all the time. And just one bark like that. And the best is when it's like at the in the middle of the night. I'm up, you know, doing doing research for a piece or playing MLB the show or whatever. Just like two in the morning. It's like kind of dead quiet. Or maybe I like have a podcast on and she's just like, and like it scares the piss out of me, y'all. It scares me. I'm not going to lie. It just startles me. It doesn't scare, I guess, is the wrong. Like, I'm not scared of her, but it, it startles the living hell out of me. That one didn't get me. I'm focused over here on the pod, but it'll get you. It will get you. Anyway, forget that, Charlotte. Let's get back to Sensatella. So now he has some strikeout prowess. I will, by the way, I got to credit Sensatella. He's 22 years old, skipped triple A to do what he's doing. So again, I mean, a lot of positivity coming out there. But in terms of like what we're doing in fantasy, we just can't do it. Here's the thing. With the Rockies specifically, they know that they can have guys, you know, you can maintain like more of a 430, 440 ERA on their team in Coors, and that's that's okay, right? Their run scoring environment, that's a different equation. But it doesn't change for us in fantasy baseball. We still need them to be uh, comparable to the rest of the league because we don't play in that run scoring environment. So um, anyway, yeah, I mean, he does have some strikeout prowess from back from back in his minor league days. The thing of it is when you come up from triple a, from double A and you're, you're just trying to survive and he's doing anything he can to survive. Both of them are Freeland and Sensatella. Uh, and uh, the way I got on this tangent was who, who would I prefer more? I, I think maybe Sensatella. I just don't know that there's enough split Actually, maybe Freeland because he does have the ground ball skill and uh, more of a four-pitch arsenal. He only uses a slider 8%, but 10% on the change, 20% on the cutter, 62% on the fastball. I wonder if the cutter and the slider, I hope they are two distinctive pitches. It looks like they are. 87-mile-per-hour cutter, 82-mile-per-hour slider. So that's good. Uh, Whereas Sensatella really is fastball slider for the most part, 5% changeup. So I guess I'll lean Freeland. But NL always really the only league I want these guys, y'all. And I don't even I don't even really want them. Um if I've got them, I'm kinda keeping it going or, or I guess. But ugh, I try to get away from that. There are rocky pitchers that I don't mind, like I was in on John Gray this year, big time, and of course he gets hurt. Um let me see what his status is, since we are looking up things live here. A little bit of free-flowing stuff here. Um, Through a successful 35-pitch bullpen session without wearing a walking boot. That would have been weird if he was wearing a walking boot and pitching. Stress fracture in his foot. That one good thing about John Gray is that it wasn't an an arm injury. But a lower half injury, it shouldn't just be ignored. Just because it's not arm doesn't mean it's, it's automatically not bad. It's just on the scale, it's better. On the scale, it, it's 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 less awful. Uh, looking at maybe middle of June, so a couple more weeks. It looks like it said he's expected to need at least three rehab starts for before being activated. So it will be a while. So yeah, a couple weeks here for for John Gray. Maybe go out and try to get him now. Jump jump on it now before he starts that, and maybe get him at a discount. Well, not maybe. I think you, I think you absolutely will. 
Yeah, absolutely. Will. And if someone wants to charge full price, then you don't go pound sand. All right. Anyway, let's get back to Marquez here and, and wrap up. Now, Marquez is easily the most intriguing of the trio. He's also, you know, got the highest ERA at 376, but that's more in line with the skills that he's showing. 20% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate, still only an 8% swinging strike rate, but he averages 95. Uh, let's see here. He's he's more, uh, he's pretty much a two-pitch guy. Like it really leans fastball, curveball, but he has a 7% changeup and a 5% slider. So he's got a couple show-me pitches. Um to hopefully keep his predictability down. 306 BABIP, not so bad. Only 43% ground ball rate, so he's pretty neutral there uh, between ground ball and fly ball. But he does get infield pop-ups at a, at a decent clip. His hard contact is actually higher than league average. So, you know, that's why he's got a 376 ERA, though. Like, he hasn't been riding kind of some some good luck waves the way his, his two teammates are. Um, he's a little bit more quote-unquote where he should be if you look at like the 370 FIP um, but you got things like the X at 445 you got the Sierra at 439 and again that's that's really where I'm starting with these guys it's kind of that low fours low to mid fours and I'm going from there like that's that's where you start and then you kind of assess from that point like if I if I start with a, a 420 what league can I really use it in when I'm getting a 20% strikeout rate, which is about seven and a half strikeouts right now? I don't know. You know, deeper leagues, of course, NL only, that's obvious. Like NL only, it's it's tougher to be picky. But, you know, is it 15 team? Like, are you streaming in 15 team? You're playing with some fire, man. You really are. And so, again, I love what the Rockies are doing. Is exciting team i hope they're successful i hope these guys keep going but i'll tell you what out of the entire group oh let's put gray off to the side he's the obvious one that anyone would want above all in terms of talent things that he's shown pedigree all that sort of stuff but in terms of guys currently in their rotation you know who i would prefer to all three of the guys that we're talking about tyler anderson and he's got a 585 era right now and i would still prefer to have him and he got walloped again yesterday uh, against seattle 11 hits six runs in five innings and yet i'd still prefer him um just because i well i think rest of the season he's going to be a little bit better now he needs to figure some things out he was just coming off of a big run so this six this six run outing um is not indicative of what he'd been doing throughout the month. Tyler Anderson does have a, had a 2.55 ERA in his previous four starts with skills to back it up, 32 strikeouts and seven walks in 24 and two-thirds innings before getting knocked around there by uh, by Seattle at home. They're doing that 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 home-and-home home thing where it's two uh, in Colorado then two in Seattle. I like those four-game sets. I believe they started that a couple years ago. Um, you know, two really bad innings got him. You can't slough off that. I'm not saying that to say, oh, it doesn't count. I'm just saying it was two two terrible innings, three solid ones. But by that point, 87 pitches, his his spot in the order probably came up and realized he didn't have his best stuff that day. He really labored through April. The, the, the bummer about his April being a 771 ERA is that four of his six starts were on the road. And you're really kind of hoping like, okay, if you get some favorability like that, you're really hoping that that the that the skills are there, uh, that that the results would be there on the road. So again, 
saying that I prefer Tyler Anderson over the others is more an indictment of the others than it is praise of Tyler Anderson. But that's that's how I, so I would I would go Gray, Anderson, Marquez, Freeland, Senzatella, I think. And I know Sattel has been the best of the bunch, but that that almost explains why I like him the least, because I mean he's got the furthest to fall, really. And I know he's got those banked starts, so he might only be X amount from here. Like he might only be the four thirty ERA from here, or or his ERA is going to end up at like a four thirty four forty for the season. So he's going to be even worse to get to that bottom line. Um, and I could I could certainly see that. So be careful. But hats off to what they're doing so far, and that's a rundown of of sixteen. Uh, ERA leaders right now and, and kind of how I feel about them. I'll run them down again. Alex Wood, I'm buying. Uh, Irvin Santana, I'm, I'm selling or holding. I'm not necessarily outright cutting him. Zach Godley, um, I'm interested in. I'm mostly buying. Mike Leak, it's just a hold. I don't think you necessarily need to get rid of him. You knew what you were getting coming into the season. If you drafted him, if you were in a league that, that merit merits drafting him then you you knew or you felt that you were going to get uh 170 180 innings of a four era right so you've gotten much better than that he might still get there like that might still be his bottom line which means you would take some some trash to get to that bottom line but he might just end up being that the rest of the way four more months of a four ERA. And so you just hang on to him. Derek Holland, I'm selling. Jason Vargas, holding. Michael Fulmer, buying. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, buying. Andrew Trashner, not a chance in hell. Luis Severino and Michael Pineda, definitely holding. Maybe buying. The problem is now, like, we're, we're two months deep with Pineda. And if the team that he's on, they were probably a believer. And so I don't think you're getting any sort of... Um, you know, good price. I'm not saying that you would get a discount. Why the hell would you? He's, he's pitching out of his mind. I'm, but like, I don't think, I think you're going to get a tax. Like it's, it's going to be expensive to get Severino or Pineda. So you probably just hold, maybe get them in a deal if, if, if things line up. Um, Geo, uh, I, I think I got to sell. I got to sell. Uh, Trevor Cahill, hold or sell only because of the health, not so much because of I love the skills. The strikeout rate has been tremendous, and I and I buy that. Um, but the health is a little bit worrisome, and he did have a setback, so probably just kind of leaving him on the DL right now and, and going from there. And then the three Rockies uh, were pretty much universal sales: Senzatella, Freeland, and Marquez. And so that's sixteen uh, ERA leaders. I don't know what I'm going to do for my next topic uh, on the solo. So if you have ideas of things that you, you you know like these unifying topics, like we've done by low hitters, by low pitchers, uh, we're doing this ERA leader one. Um, I'm not exactly sure what my next one will be. So if you have suggestions, hit me up on Twitter at Spore. That's S P O R E R. Appreciate the guy. Appreciate y'all. Uh, you know, being cool with us, taking the weekend off. Well, some of you are like, I wasn't cool with it, but uh, no one really said anything uh, about it. So I appreciate that uh, with the holiday weekend, but we will be back. You know, and I'll be back tomorrow, Thursday, and then Jason and I back Saturday as normal. Um, so until then, take care. Thanks. <laughs>